Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. Well, good morning, North Maine. How is everyone doing this morning? So if I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt McCarrier, and uh, this is kind of a special morning for me because uh, this is the first time that I'm actually going to be um, preaching with you uh, as part of your congregation. So uh, if you're not aware, yeah, it's pretty cool. So I've preached here before, but um, I've done that while I was um, pastoring at a different church, and now uh, through life circumstances and God's calling, me and my family are now part of uh, North Maine. We've been here for about six months, and uh, we're loving it, and got to meet a lot of you and a lot of the young adults we've been hanging out with, and it's been a really great experience, and so I'm excited to be here as one of you kind of sharing um, the message with you this morning. So this morning, we're going to continue on talking about Esther. Pastor Brandon's been just bringing on this story about um, love and about how love never gives up, never gives up in the face of anything that happens. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to continue that story, and we're going to be in Esther 7. So if you want to kind of turn there, you can. But before we kind of dive into that, I want to give a little bit of background uh, in case you missed maybe a couple of weeks or you're not familiar with the story. Um, God's people, the Israelites, they were conquered by a nation, and uh, they were then taken in as slaves, as servants. They were kind of brought to this foreign place. They were incorporated into that place, and then that nation got conquered by another nation, the Assyrians, and it all happened again. And so the story we're talking about today is the story of Esther. Esther is a Jewish woman who um, has found herself as the queen of the Assyrians. It's kind of funny how God works that, right? You know, how um, we would never expect someone who is uh, kind of taken as a, um, a foreign immigrant into this place to kind of rise up through these ranks to be queen of this nation. And uh, she is faced with a really big dilemma. Uh, we've been talking about the past couple of weeks that there's a man inside the court of the king of Assyria who wants to kill the Jews. He was slighted by a man named Mordecai, and Mordecai refused to bow down to him in, while he was being recognized as kind of second in command, and so he got angry at Mordecai, and like everybody does when they're angry, they decide to commit genocide, right? Um, he takes it a little, bit, uh, a little bit too far, and he decides that he wants not only Mordecai dead, but he wants all of the Jews dead, and so So he goes to the king, and this king in Assyria, his name is um, Xerxes, and we're going to talk a little bit about him later, but he is a king, when you read through the Bible and even through history, he's a guy that's kind of impulsive. People would come to him, and uh, he would just kind of make snap decisions, and I guess as king, he kind of just got into that habit, hey, whatever I want, whenever I want it, and so uh, his his servant, his uh, second-in-command, Haman, comes to him and says, 
this guy, Mordecai, he has um, slighted me, and uh, the Jews, they are, they are ch- planning on rising up. Uh, they're planning to rise up, and they're going to do a revolt against you, a rebellion inside the city. Um, of course, this is not true, but he's kind of using these circumstances, and the king says, well, you know, I don't want a rebellion, I don't want a revolt, so he signs a decree saying that Haman is allowed to kill all the Jews within the city. This kind of gives Haman the, uh, the green light to take care of his problem with Mordecai. But what Haman is unaware of, what everyone other than um, Esther and Mordecai, what uh, everyone is unaware of is that Esther is a Jew. And so Mordecai, who is her cousin, who is also now her adopted father, goes to her and says, we've got a big problem. This guy, he wants to kill us. You're included in that and we need to figure something out. And Esther's like, hey, there's nothing I can do. I'm the queen, yes, but I can only talk to the king when he wants me to. I can only come before him if I'm summoned. Um, And to do anything else, to try and go before him means death. And so uh, Mordecai's like, well, you're gonna die either way, right? Uh, This is kind of a die-die situation unless God has a hand in it. And so Esther says, you know what? I'm I'm gonna trust God. I'm going to believe that God will deliver us and I'm gonna go before the king. And so she does, and uh, the king says, you know, what brought you here? Why are you here with us? And she says, I'm here because I wanna invite you to a dinner. Not kind of what you expect. If you're reading through it, you're like, okay, well, she's just gonna say, uh, this guy is trying to kill us, can you fix it? But she invites them to a dinner. And then we get through the first dinner, and nothing happens. The king keeps asking her, hey, what, what is it that you want? Why are you here? Why are we here? Um, why are we together? And she says, well, you know what? The reason why we're together is I wanted to invite you to another dinner. And, and the king's like, all right, um, I guess this, my new queen really likes making dinner or, or throwing parties, I guess. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're at this place where the clock is ticking. Haman is already billing, or building gallows, and he's set up, uh, last week we talked about, he set up this giant spike so that he could impale Mordecai on it. And so he has all these things where he's building all this stuff, he's getting prepped, and uh, he thinks that he's kind of just, he's got everything right lined up, right? Right where he wants it. He's been invited to have a uh, dinner with the king and the queen. He's going to get his wish when it comes to Mordecai. Um, His plans are all working out, and yet uh, we see what we're going to talk about today is that God has bigger plans, and uh, and it's a really cool story. So we're going to dig into it. So this is um, Esther 7, and we're going to start in verse 1, and it says here, it says, So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. This is the second banquet. On the second occasion... While they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want. Queen Esther, what is your request? I'll give you anything, even if it's half the kingdom. So I think by this point, we've kind of said, um, Xerxes is kind of an impulsive guy. He's not a guy that kind of likes to be, you know, strung along. He's not a guy that likes to play guessing games. He's like, tell me what you want, right? We've come to the second banquet. Tell me what you want. Um, you know, I'll give you anything. I love you. And Queen Esther replies, if I found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, 
I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial of a matter to warrant disturbing the king. It's funny, Esther is really good. She's very diplomatic. She's very good at handling these stressful situations. Think about how insanely stressful this situation would be. She, um, has, she has the man who is trying to kill her entire um, race. She has, she has the man here who's sitting here who's trying to kill her adopted father specifically. She has a king who's very impulsive. She's not quite sure where he's, what he's going to do, where he's going to land on this. And uh, all this situation is here, and she's doing things not by the book, right? She's invited um, him to a banquet, which is kind of a no-no. She's kind of doing everything wrong. And so I just picture Esther sitting there and just being just like a bundle of nerves. I mean, she had to have had just like huge knots in her stomach. And she's trying to um, get Cersei's almost buttered up a little bit. You know, she's like, hey, if, if you love me, if you love me, um, there's, there's somebody that's trying to kill me. There's somebody that's trying to kill me and, uh, and my people. And she's, but listen, if this had been anything else, I wouldn't have brought it up to you. I wouldn't have brought it up to you. I, if, if we had been sold as slaves, I wouldn't have even brought it up to you, but we're going to be killed. And so if you love me, we have to do so. I have to bring it up to you. There's no other way. Um, and so we see this. It says, um, who would do such a thing, King Cersei's demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked man, Haman, is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and the queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and ran out into the place, the palace garden. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Cerses. Uh, you might not know, this might be the only time that you experience him in the Bible, but he is a very real um, historical figure. He is a very famous historical figure. Um, if you're familiar with the story of the 300 Spartans who held back um, the Persian invasion in Greece, um, this is the king who was leading that invasion. So um, they've made movies about it. There's a movie called 300 where they talk about it. I'm not recommending that movie. I'm just saying it exists. Um, and he is the big bad guy in that movie. Um, and it's interesting because if you read through history, uh, the way he's um, described is uh, very, it depends on who's writing it, right? The Greeks write him as this, um, just very bad, very kind of like um, mythical almost, like evil person. Uh, other nations write that he was actually a very good diplomatic leader, that he uh, made good improvements on things like roads and things like um, charitable outreach into the communities. He made it so that the economy was better. He helped lower class. So this is a guy that um, he, he was very power hungry. He would try to conquer as many nations as he could. Uh, he was also probably a pretty good king, but one of the interesting things is across the board, it doesn't matter if it was the Greeks who were writing about him or if his own people were writing about him, he was an impulsive king that had an anger problem, right? Uh, he, got, he got pushed back in Greece whenever he was trying to do one of his initial things, and so he came back with, like, the, the histories say that he came back with a million men, one of the largest armies that had ever been assembled in history, to attack them. He was not somebody that was told no. He's not somebody that um, was, was not used to getting his own way. And so we see here, um, he doesn't even hesitate. He just goes into a rage. He is so much so that he can't even be in the same room anymore, and uh, he walks out. 
And we see here that Haman, in this next verse, um, Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther. When you read this, it's kind of interesting. It's like, well, why would he stay behind with Esther and not go after the king, right? He's the second in command because he knows that the king is a man who is impulsive and, and quick to anger. And so he stays behind because he's like, Esther is the more level-headed one, the one that just accused me, the one that's probably the, the one that has my, hand in, in, uh, my life in her hands is the more level-headed one. I'm going to stay and try to um, talk with her. And so um, he stays behind to plead for his life, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining, just as the king was returning from the palace garden. So the king's kind of cooled off a little bit. He comes back in, and what, uh, what historians believe happened here is that uh, there would have been a, a big banquet table, and they would have had pillows to recline upon, and what Haman did is he almost fell down kind of like prostrate like this at her, at her feet, and, was, and a lot of people think that he had his hands up on her feet or up on her legs, um, just asking for forgiveness, pleading for his life. Well, that's a big no-no. You don't touch uh, the king's wife. You don't touch, especially not her legs. And um, so the king comes in and he says this. He says, will you even assault my queen right here in the palace before, um, before my very eyes? So if Haman was trying to save his life, he's not doing a very good job. And the king walks in and says, As soon as the king had spoke this, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, says, And you got to wonder about Harbona here, because uh, you, you think that there's some uh, kind of inside politics going on, because Harbona is really quick to throw Haman under the bus. He's like, Hey, um, one of the king's, or Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, in his own courtyard. And he intended to impale Mordecai, the man who saved you from an assassination. And then the king turns and says, well, then impale him on it. Um, so they impaled Haman on the pole and he, that he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger was subsided. So yeah, I think, I think Harbana had kind of been like, oh, this is my opportunity. We're gonna, maybe, maybe Haman had done something to him uh, before. We don't know. But this is a crazy story. The, the, all the tension that had built up to this point, we've had chapters and chapters and chapters of tension. We've had chapters and chapters of building, and it all comes to a head right here. And we see God work in just insane, amazing ways. And when we're talking about love, it's kind of hard to find that in this passage, right? There's not a lot of forgiveness. There's not a lot of happy endings, and what we see here, we're going to get into the next um, verse later on, but what we find out is that uh, Pastor Brandon talked last week. He said, when the king of Assyria made a decree, they viewed Xerxes as a god king. And so when he made a decree, it was impossible to undo it. Uh, he couldn't just be like, hey, take that away. So when he had said that the Jews were going to be exterminated on this date, it was still there. It didn't matter if Haman was dead. It didn't matter what happened to Haman. It was still present. And so this verse kind of ends in a place where you're like, okay, Emin, Haman got his like comeuppance, but we still have this overarching kind of doom for God's people coming down 
we still, we have a man who was killed. We have kind of, uh, we have a lot of anger and a lot of things here. And so where do we find the love? Where do, what do we learn from love in this? And so there's two things that I wanted to talk about. The first thing is that um, Esther was willing to speak truth even in the face of the man who was seeking to destroy her. Here's one of the interesting things that the Bible tells us over and over again. The Bible tells us that as Christians, it's not only our right or, um, you know, something that we would enjoy doing, but we are commanded to speak truth. And we're commanded to speak truth not only for truth's sake, but we're commanded to speak truth in love. We see that in um, Ephesians where, where Paul tells the people, he says, hey, you need to speak truth in love to people. You can't falter when it comes to speaking it, um, but you must do it in a way that they can understand. See, the Bible tells us in Matthew, Christ is talking to his church and he says to them, he says, if there's a problem amongst you, if there's a problem in all of you, and you have a problem with one of your brothers, you need to go to that person face to face and speak the truth of what's happening in that situation to this person. Now, you can't control how that person's gonna handle what's going on. But the Bible tells us that that's what our responsibility is to do. And so we see here, Esther, it's not quite the same. Haman's not one of her brothers. Haman's not a person who is a follower of, of God. Um, he's not someone that's in, in the Israelite um, nation. But what we see here is that she invites him to be present because she needs to speak truth directly to the person that is going against it. See, how easy would it have been? Why, I mean, have you ever read through the story and wondered why did she invite him to these banquets? W would it not have been so much easier to go before the king and say, hey, would you, rather, uh, would you come to a banquet with me? And then while he's there, he's like, hey, uh, your first, you know, your, your lieutenant's trying to kill me and my people. Probably the outcome would have been very similar, right? The king gets mad, he goes and finds Haman. But here's the thing, is that in that process where the king is then going to find Haman, and then trying to figure out what's happening, you have time for truth to be twisted. You have time for truth to be misinterpreted. You have time for truth to be pushed aside. And we see this so often today in our culture, right? Right now, we are going through so much turmoil in our country. I don't know if you're aware of it, but there is a literal um, almost war going on in our country when it comes to um, certain social things. Right now, uh, one of the big topics is, is abortion, right? So many states are signing um, these new abortion or anti-abortion um, laws. Certain states are signing ones that are, are giving permissions to it. People are battling to try and figure out where this goes. And what I see often is Christians getting up onto certain soapboxes wherever they can find them, right? Maybe it's social media. Maybe, I don't know where, where yours is. But a lot of times, and even I'm, I'm one that does this as well, we get up and we just scream into the void. We say, we need to speak truth, and we need to just say it. And so we stand before no one, and we just yell it. Right? We get onto Facebook and we type it. We get onto Twitter and we tweet it. It doesn't matter what it is. And we just send it out and we say, oh man, I spoke truth. Right? But here's the thing. Very few people are going to experience that. 
See, God has put each and one of us in a place, and he's given people around us, and then he's given us that command. He's told us that we need to speak truth in situations. We need to speak truth in love face-to-face with people. The Bible says it over and over again. That this whole thing is about relationships. He says, go and spread the gospel. Go and speak the word. And so when we experience as Christians, when we come against people who are seeking to destroy truth, they're seeking to actively destroy truth, we can't just step back into safety and say, I'm going to speak it from here, right? There's a wall between us. Esther didn't do that. She said, there's a problem, and I need to address it directly. I don't know how it's going to handle. I don't know how Haman's going to take it. I don't know how the king is going to take it, but there is something that I need to speak because someone is trying to destroy truth. I can tell you right now, the Bible tells us that God knit us together in our mother's womb, that he, he was actively a part of our creation. That is the truth that the Bible tells me. And so when someone comes and seeks to destroy that truth by telling me that anyone can be killed, that infants can be killed, that children inside the womb can be killed, and that's okay, I have to speak against it. But here's how, I, here's how we have to do it. Because I could, like I said, I could get on to uh, social media. I could get on to anything. And even now, right, I'm speaking to you. I'm saying something that um, God has laid onto my heart. But I'm not having an active conversation with you. And so it's only going to go so far. You can choose to accept it or you can choose not to. You can walk out of here and say, Matt was full of it. Or you can say, yeah, that's awesome. But really, it kind of ends there because my reach doesn't go further because we've not had active communication when it comes to this, right? But here's a different way of doing it. Instead of saying, I need to have influence over the masses, I need to get this word out to as many people as I can, God has put people in your life that you can have these conversations with, that you can speak truth to. God put people in Esther's life that she could speak to. And she was willing to stand face to face and speak that truth. See, one of the interesting things is that um, we often think, well, you know, maybe people in, in outside the church aren't really concerned with this. Maybe, um, maybe they're not talking about it, right? How do I join into this conversation? It's going to happen, right? I work in a, my, my father owns a, a pipe and supply store. I work there, and the people there are, are amazing people, but they are guys who work at a pipe and supply store, right? Not the guys that you're thinking are going to have super deep, you know, philosophical thoughts and communications during a work day. But guess what? This past Friday, that topic of abortion got brought up. And we had people of differing opinions sharing their thoughts, and it would have been very easy for me to be like, man, I don't want to offend anybody or like, I don't, want, I don't know what this is going to happen. I don't know where to go with this. And I don't want to like sound preachy, you know, or whatever. So I'm just going to be like, eh, you know, my, sometimes our normal excuse is like, hey, well, you know, you know, that's a, that's a tough subject, right? That's tough, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll have to figure it out sometime. Now, what I did was we stood in a circle. It was near the end of the day. And I, and I said, well, what do you think about that? Why do you think it? And they shared, and, and people brought up things like, well, what happens when, when a person is, is, is raped or when, when the child has um, disabilities? You know, what, what happens there? And I'm like, well, why do you think that that would be okay? 
And I heard them. I listened, right? The Bible tells us that uh, in James that we must be slow to speak and quick to listen because we must hear these things. Esther, you might have thought when you read through it that that first banquet, she lost her nerve. That's not the case. She was waiting for God's timing and she was waiting for the right moment and she was listening. You think she spent that entire banquet not doing anything? I'm sure she spent the entire banquet talking and listening to Haman and to the king and understanding the situation and gathering who she's talking to, right? The way I speak to certain people is going to change based on the situation and who they are and the topic we're talking about. And I think that Esther needed to kind of gauge herself and figure out and ground herself, how am I going to approach this? Maybe there's some wiggle room with Haman. Maybe I can talk to him and maybe we can fix this situation. Come to the second banquet, maybe not, right? Maybe she realized Haman is who he is and I need to, I need to speak this the way I need to speak it, directly and boldly, or else this isn't going to happen. That's what I think happened here. I think Esther was slow to speak, quick to listen. And as Christians, that's what we must do. There's so many, so many topics, not just the abortion topic. There's so many things in our culture right now. And so often we think, well, we have to change the politics, or I need to talk to as many people as I can. Well, guess what? I left that conversation, and the people that were in it were different. I don't know if they changed their mind or their stance, but they thought differently because I had given them new perspective. They brought some perspective to me, right? I realized, man, I didn't know that they thought that way. Not bad or good, just brings me a new perspective to that person and allows me to be more effective as a Christian, delivering that gospel and sharing things with people. The second thing that Esther does, well, that happens in this passage, is that love doesn't always take away our problems, but love always wins. See, in the conclusion of this chapter, like I said, that problem is still there. There's a date on the calendar that says extermination of the Jews, right? And it can't be sponged away. We're gonna find out how God fixes that problem in a couple, in either next week, I think. And, uh, and it's pretty amazing how he kind of uses even bad situations and shifts them and turns them the way he wants them. But here's the thing is often we think, okay, if we speak love, if I speak it, even if I do it to, to in the right way, then these problems are gonna go away or my problems are gonna go away or the suffering that I'm experiencing is gonna go away or the issue that I'm trying to, to speak into is gonna go away, and sometimes it doesn't, right? Esther came in and did something that no one should have been able to do. She defied all cultural standing. As a woman, she took a place of, of leadership. She came into the king's court when it wasn't allowed. She stood up and faced a man that uh, was, a, was trying to kill her people, who was trying to kill her. She did everything boldly and with strength. And in the end, it must have been pretty defeating, even though she had a small victory with Haman, it must have been pretty defeating to sit there and be like, well, now what? Now what? 
And that can oftentimes lead us to discouraging. Guess what? On Friday, after I had that conversation with the guys at my work, is abortion still happening? Yeah. Did I change their minds? I don't know. But God told me in that moment to speak truth, to do it in love, not condemnation or judgment, to have a conversation, a real one, not an argument, and speak truth. Not my truth, just truth. See, that's one of the things that that as Christians, we just, like I said, we get so caught up in the, we have to, everyone has to hear it, everyone needs to do this, and yes, they do, but we forget these kind of grassroots things. That's what our, our Christianity is a grassroots movement, right? We're used to in our country, it being the overarching um, kind of setup for, for our country. Our country's built upon the foundation of Christianity, and so we're used to this kind of privilege, but nowhere else in the world is that there. And we're slowly seeing that that's maybe not the case here. And we need to get back to our roots. We need to get back to the way that Christ did things, where he went and he found people and he had conversations with them, face to face, in truth and in love. He walked up to a woman about to be stoned, and he said, sin no more. And he told all those people that were about to stone her, whoever hasn't sinned can throw the first stone. It was a conversation. He came into a situation and said, I'm going to speak truth here, boldly to their face. Imagine that. Can you imagine standing before a mob of people holding rocks, about to throw them at another person, Standing between that person and this mob and saying, whoever hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. But it was truth that came out of his mouth and it changed that situation. Look at Christ. In Christ's life, he only really interacts with, um, with the kind of upper authorities of his time like once in his life. And guess what? He doesn't talk to them. He could have used that situation. That's, again, it's so frustrating because we see so many Christians, good Christian people who know the truth and can speak it, and yet they want to step back. Like I said, they want to step back and have this kind of sense of protection because guess what? Having that conversation is awkward. To go in and say, hey, this is how I feel and this is why I feel it. It's because it's from the Bible. You're going to get some people that say, well, the Bible's not real. What do I say to that? You're going to get some people that come in and say, well, you know, what you're saying isn't real. Or what you're saying is wrong. Or I believe this, and no matter what you say, it's not going to change. And so we don't like that because we're not used to that. We think that when we walk up to someone, we should be able to say, hey, um, this is what happens, and this is what the Bible says. And they say, oh, well, I was wrong. Okay. (laughs) Right? And when we do things kind of behind this, this wall of protection, whether it's through social media or whether it's just, you know, whatever you want to use, we can imagine that in our heads. When I get done typing it and I click that send or whatever I do, I can imagine, yeah, all those people that are going to change because of this, right? What's the truth? The truth is that most people are going to scroll through it, and the only people that are going to read it are the people that have the opposite opinion of mine, They're going to comment on it, and then we're going to get into a fight. (laughs) And then nothing's going to happen. 
And then when we come to a situation when we're actually able to have conversations where someone brings up a topic or there's something happening in our lives, we tend to shy back. And to show you that I am not exception of that rule, right, there are many times that I have done that very thing. With my own family, I think it was Thanksgiving this year, um, we got into a, a political debate and I screamed and yelled and I had to then call my dad back later that night and apologize, right? Uh, this is not... Um, this is not something that I have mastered, and this is not something that comes easily, right? Um, we are going to mess up. We are not going to deliver truth with love a lot of times. We are not going to have that confidence that love will win out. There's times whenever we're going to get frustrated because we look at the situation and we say it's hopeless. If I, can't, if I can't speak directly to President Trump and get him to change his mind, then what can I do? Right? I have no power. There's, there's nothing that I can, I can do. There's, I can't speak to the Senate. I can't speak to Congress. You know, I can't do any of these things. I'm not a politician. Neither was Christ. Neither were his disciples. You know what they did? They went from town to town and they found the people that God had put in their lives and they spoke to them. They spoke to them about a truth that's undeniable. A truth that even if you don't believe in this book, when you begin to experience it, it's really hard to not say, yeah, there's something to it. I've met lots of people, even people who are atheists, and I'm like, well, you know, what about loving other people? What's your thoughts on that? They're like, well, yeah, you should do that. I'm like, well, that's what this is about. Right? We can meet on that level, on that playing field, you and I agree, and so we go from there. That's what we have to do. As Christians, we have to take Esther's, Esther's example and we have to say, listen, love, love, it never gives up. It never gives up no matter what. It will always conquer no matter what because Christ is love. Love is God and God is all-powerful. It might not go the way that we think. It might not go the way that we want. Just like Esther, I'm sure um, we see in the next chapter. Again, I don't want to get into it because I don't want to like spoil what Brandon is doing. But she comes back to Cersei's and, and she's broken. And he goes, well, what's the matter? We fixed what was wrong. And she goes, no, the problem's still there. Right? And they have to deal with that. And one piece at a time. Here's, a, here's one of the examples in my life that has always stuck with me. I was on a mission trip one time, and we were working in a house, and our job was simply just to clean up this house. And the, and the person who owned this house had um, some hoarding tendencies. They had some struggles with um, uh, just cleanliness and different things like that. And so part of our job was to try and organize, clean this house. And one of the things that they wanted to do was get a safe that was in this room out of the house because they needed to get it out. And that was my task. And I remember being like, okay, no problem. And I had a team with me and we walk in. We walk into this room and there's boxes from the floor to the ceiling with just small aisleways to get through. And the safe is like in the back corner and there's just everything stacked everywhere. And I remember one of the people in our, uh, in our group turns to me and says, how are we ever going to get it out? How are we ever going to get it out? 
And I looked at her and I was like, one box at a time, right? One box at a time. We'll move them. We'll do it. But so often we look at the problem, just as Esther probably could have, look at that problem and say, it's, it's, we cannot do this. Or we need something big, right? We need some big machine or something to come in and just like grab this safe and pull it out or something like, we need to bust out a wall. Like, no, what it took was a lot of hard work. We got dirty, right? We got tired because we were moving all these boxes and all this furniture. But we got the safe out. We put everything back. As Christians, that's how we have to look at life. We cannot get caught up in everything up here because God tells us that we are to be down here with the people, the people in our lives, the people he's put in each one of your lives. There's people that you work with. There's family members. And so often, right, again, our culture, the, the joke is that when we get to the dinner table, right, there's a couple things that we don't talk about. Religion, politics, <laughs> your house might have a few more. We can't be like that. We have to be willing to say, no, I'm going to speak truth, and we're going to have good conversations. You might not agree with me, but I'm going to do it in love. We're going to be here together. And then love will win out. Love will win out. So I want to encourage you, as we kind of wrap up, I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team back up with uh, right now. How do you handle those tricky situations? In your own personal life, how do you handle it whenever someone who maybe is close to you, maybe a coworker, brings up things that are a troubling for you or a struggle? How, what happens when you're faced, when you have the opportunity to speak in such a way that could change and influence people? Do you shy away from it? Do you think, well, maybe I can do it in a roundabout way? Do I say, I just don't want to talk about stuff like this? Is, I, this stuff's off limits. This stuff is me and, and my opinions. Right? We can't do that. We have to. We have to. And, and I want to encourage you, too, because some of you might be like, hey, Matt, I am more of an introverted person. I do not want to get up and talk to a bunch of these people. I would never want to do what you're doing. I don't want to do what you did with your, your coworkers. That's Okay. There are people in your life that you have conversations with, right? And there are times when God is going to ask you to speak truth. Just like he asked Esther. Just like he asked Mordecai, right? So Mordecai didn't go to the king. Mordecai didn't do that. He went and said, I have influence over Esther. And so I'm going to speak to her. There are people in your life who you have influence over. You have you have the ability to speak into. And so we must do that with love. Will you join me in prayer? Dear God, we just thank you so much. We thank you for Esther's story. We thank you for her bravery. And God, we bring up to you our failures right now. So often we, we speak not in love, Often we don't even speak truth. We speak a, a mixture of our own desires and thoughts and, and the things that we want and often we do it in judgment. God, you told us, tell people about me. Tell people about Christ. If you speak Christ to people, 
If you tell them about the love that he has, if you tell them about those things, then we are able to reach people in a way that we never can on our own. And so God, we pray right now, give us strength to do that. Give us clarity. When those situations arise, and they will, and you call us and say, this is your time to speak, God, we pray that we answer. We pray that we speak up. We pray that we're bold like Esther and we have faith knowing that you already won. Love has already won. So even if the situation still seems bleak, even if it doesn't go the way we thought, God, we just lift it up all the praise to you because you've already won. You've already done everything that is ever needed to be done. And God, we just thank you so much for that. We lift up your name and we praise you. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Main, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.